Hey everybody, welcome to the EquipCast. My name is Jim Jansen and I'm your host and I got a really good conversation for you today. We're going to sit down with Andy Deka and Andy and I talk about narrowing the focus in a ministry or for a particular moment in a ministry like a retreat or for a whole system, a whole community of faith like a parish. How do you narrow the focus? Some really good stuff here. Andy's going to talk about the power of relevance, not superficial relevance, but how do we really make sure that what we offer is relevant and impactful and how powerful that lens is for helping us narrow the focus of what we do. Uh, We talk about how to develop a stop doing list and how to find the courage to prune and disappoint leaders even when a ministry is still bearing fruit so that we can be even more fruitful as a community. Really good stuff. Take a listen. Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Andy Deka, welcome back to the EquipCast. How are you? Doing great. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Okay. So Andy, this is, I think you're the, not that anybody's counting except for Whitney, but I think you are the record holder for most frequent guests. So this could be a hard question, but tell people something about your story and your faith journey uh, that we don't know yet. Yeah. I was uh, actually with my dad at a friend's wedding this past weekend. And we started having a conversation about uh, his own faith and things that were going on in the archdiocese. He was telling me about his dad, my grandpa, and about how he would always talk about having faith and action. And so, I've just been seeing- Your your grandfather would say this. My grandfather would say this. Yeah. Yeah. And so, my dad has been really inspired by that. Um, He told me how he started going to a retirement home recently, just in the last month or so, and has been listening to people there and feeling like he's having much more of an impact than he has uh, working his job for however many years. And it's just been really life-giving for him. Wow, that's so cool. It's been inspiring for me you know, to hear my dad talk about that, talk about how he's trying yeah. to respond to the gospel. And so I remember when I was um, a sophomore in college, I had some time away from the Catholic church. And I remember going to mass though and praying for my family that the Lord would get them out of the Catholic church so that they could encounter him. Yeah, I remember that in your story because you had had a profound conversion, reversion to Christ as part of an evangelical community. Right, right. And you're like, okay, Jesus. And he's like snickering or, you know, however <laughs> the Lord, you know, laughs at our request, maybe not a snicker, but. Right. So it's been an, a grace that I've seen unfolding for a while, right? As yeah. my sister became a missionary, my brother went on a, a mission trip um, in South America and had a really powerful experience serving the poor. My mom got confirmed and started kind of mothering a neighbor. <laughs> um, yeah. um, actually, it was, it's the girl that, you know, that this wedding that we that we went to. Wow. And then now see my dad responding too. So what I think is I, I realized though is that the Lord did get us all out of the Catholic Church in order to encounter him. You yeah. know, we were still Catholic though. Right. right? Yeah. But but it's in the retirement home or on the college yeah, campus. Yeah. Or, right out of the church in a different sense. Yeah. Like in the pure Pope Francis, like, okay, mass has ended to go and love and serve. So off we go. Yeah. That's so awesome. Huge yeah. So huge encouragement for me the past week. That's cool. All right. So Andy, we get to nerd out a little bit. Uh, just thinking through, okay, like how do we get better? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think there's there's no one who has not found kind of the change of the ages disorienting as we move from Christendom to 
a kind of apostolic uh, season again in the life of the church. And the the newness that that requires, mm. there's something both of us, I think, have a creative kind of inventive element. And so we love the process of thinking through and inventing and, and mm-hmm. recreating. And today we get to talk about kind of a, I don't know, maybe like a, a precursor practice or grace that helps make the newness possible, or, or mm. maybe it's mm-hmm. just a part of that. We get to talk about narrowing the focus. So yeah. Andy, if you would kind of set the context for us, like the table here, this is really a response to the very Western kind of American cultural reality of complexity. Mm-hmm. Our, our lives are really crazy complex. Everybody's schedules are full and you can't be in any sort of kind of service ministry very long before you're like, gosh, everybody's so busy. Everything's so full mm. and compli- complicated. Talk to us a little bit about the dangers of complexity. Yeah, I want to just share an analogy. Um, Please. It's a, um, so I'm, I love gardening. So I'm going to share- You're speaking <laughs> to my heart. I love analogies. <laughs> I'm going to share a gardening analogy. Jim, have you ever started like a vegetable garden and brought your kids along to try and pick what's going to go in the garden? Uh, no, but my wife, if we invited Kim, yeah. Uh-huh. Starting gardens, kind of, but not successfully. But no, never had to invite the kids into like choose the vegetables. But Kim does that regularly. So I took my kids, uh, you know, over to Lowe's to look at the, the the seed racks, and and of course they want everything, right? They want to put everything in the garden, yeah. you know, cantaloupe and and broccoli and like kohlrabi. It's like you don't even know what kohlrabi is. <laughs> I don't know what kohlrabi is. <laughs> so yeah, so if I if I let my kids pick everything that went in the garden, oh, yeah. right? It would just be totally overrun. Plants would be, you know, crowding out one another. Right. Some of them don't work. You know, like watermelon tends to spread, you know, pumpkins yeah. tend to take over everything. Disproportional square footage. Know that. Yeah. And <laughs> it took over half their yard. Yeah. So, you know, right. Plants would crowd each other out and, you know, have, have like the cantaloupe over the peppers and it just would be less productive, right? The plants wouldn't get all the nutrients that they need. Um, they wouldn't get the sunlight that they need. So you actually have to reduce the number of, of plants that go in the garden um, so they can all be healthy. And I've actually, I've actually this season, right, had to pull out perfectly healthy tomato seedlings and basil seedlings and other things so that the other yeah. plants can my, thrive. My wife is, she's wonderful. I mean, the, the, I think you're referring to pruning. Mm-hmm. I hate that. I feel so mean. <laughs> <laughs> and my wife, who actually right, gets results as a gardener, she ruthlessly snips and prunes. And I'm like, you killed it. She's like, I didn't kill it. Just wait. Um, but yeah, she'll pull stuff out perfectly healthy. Mm-hmm. It's like, but that one, it, it looked great. And she's like, I know, but there's there's no room. Or it, nope, I need to prune that off so so that it puts more energy into the roots or whatever. It's still painful to me as, as, as a gardener pulling okay, out, good. you know, every time I pull out a, a perfectly healthy plant, because I know how much it actually takes to grow something, right? Yeah, um, that's good. Okay, so great analogy. Yeah, how does this translate to church world? Yeah, so I want to make it dangerous because <laughs> you talked about the dangers of, of complexity. Gardening, mm-hmm. that wasn't very, very dangerous. But so I, I was thinking and praying about this. But really, right, every person is destined for glory, Right? Every person is destined for a glory that's even beyond our comprehension. Right? Mm-hmm. The Lord has a, an incredible plan for all of us. But the scriptures talk about remaining in Christ, right? being in Christ and mm-hmm. remaining in Christ. Right? Those who are in Christ receive that glory. And so sometimes our parishes can be so complex that they can lose that focus. They can lose focus on mm-hmm. helping people to be in Christ and to remain in Christ. 
right? So they lose sight of of the end, mm-hmm. right? And so if we're if we're if we lose that focus and we're not serious about our mission, right, um, it's going to have consequences for people's faith, right? Well, and yeah, for souls. Andy, talk, we've already kind of been here a little bit, but let's talk a little bit about now. We're not talking about pea plants or mm-hmm. broccoli, mm-hmm. but like the the pain of pruning something. Mm-hmm. In a parish ministry program context, like that's hard to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe yeah. the opposite, like you said, like it's hard to do as a gardener because you know how hard it is to get things to grow. Maybe for the and for the opposite reason, in a parish, sometimes it's like, gosh, it seems like it's so rare to get something mm. to work. The last thing I want to, I guess it's the same as gardening, but the last thing I want to do is like <laughs> stop doing that. Like people are coming, it's working. Yeah. And yet sometimes we're even called to prune things out and begin to narrow the focus with with items that are already working. Yeah. Yeah. So I had an experience um, when I was working at a parish in, in Seattle. There was a, a conference that um, a number of volunteers mm. had been organizing for a while. You know, they'd bring in big name speakers from like Catholic radio and mm. And, you know, they actually get about 500 or so people, you know, to attend, um, not just from our parish, but from some of the neighboring parishes. But they, they were doing this, you know, several years. It was a yeah. huge number of people that went into planning that, um, that sure. conference, yeah. right? And they, they, they would pray together and they'd build relationships with each other. And it was this huge endeavor, right? But ultimately, it was taking away time and, and energy and resources, mm-hmm. especially as our parish wanted to also shift as, as we were trying to start Alpha in the parish, Right? And we needed a greater freedom if we're going to really try and proclaim the gospel yeah. and accompany people. There's so much just tied up into this conference. We ended up having to completely stop the conference, um, stop planning future conferences um, in order to free up those resources. And it was, it was hard for people. You yeah, because it was were, still working. People were still coming yeah. and they were planning on next year. Yeah. So I, I, was, I remember being at a meeting where people were in tears right, about what they were losing and just thinking about all the energy that they had put into this. And it's not like there wasn't fruit that mm-hmm. was coming from the conference, but we were trying to be even more focused on our mission. Yeah. I love, I mean, there's a biblical precedent for this. I've spent more than a little time struggling, wrestling with the Lord in John 15, Mm. where Jesus, you know, similar, right? Agricultural image. He said, you know, I'm the vine, you are the branches, and my father is the vine dresser. And there's a lot of great stuff in there. But one (laughs) one of the things is he says the father prunes branches, not just the dead ones, but ones that are currently bearing fruit. Mm. He prunes them so that more of the vine's energy go into fewer branches mm. so that they can bear more fruit. And yeah, I mean, I know that's true. I'm not an agronomist. I'm not a, you know, vine dresser by trade, but I'm like, I know it's true, but I still struggle with that. And certainly mm. the application, once we're beyond metaphor in my life, mm. like if it's bearing fruit at all, like I kind of want to let it go even when I'm starting to get an inkling that the Lord would rather have me stop that good thing mm. for the sake of something else. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Andy, how do we find, like, how do we find, I mean, one thing, okay, sure. Meditate on John 15, let you know, let Jesus convince you. How do we find the courage to do that? Or maybe put another way, how do we have a lens to know that we're actually following the Lord's lead in that pruning? Because it's a scary endeavor. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I think we're, if we're talking about how do we narrow the the focus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, I think going back to the church's mission is incredibly mm-hmm. helpful because we don't have to make up an aim in the church, right? Which is a real gift. <laughs> That's true. That's true. In th- yeah, in theory, 
labors to like, so what's our mission? It's like, uh, Matthew 28 or like, yeah, it's already <laughs> like, yeah, we, we got a good head start on that. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah. So the great commission, right. In Matthew 28 is a great starting place. Right. And if we're, if we're asking the questions about, you know, how are we fulfilling that mission? How are we, mm. um, how are we making disciples? You know, it talks about baptizing people and teaching mm-hmm. them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded. It's about getting in Christ, right, mm-hmm. through baptism and remaining in him. So coming back to the mission our, ourselves, but then also casting vision for others, where it can out, actually help to alleviate some of the pain of narrowing the focus, of stopping something that's working, of pruning, if we can remember that it's in service of a greater mission. Yeah, well, the, the why. I mean, maybe it's helpful at this point to distinguish. I think this practice of narrowing the focus, we've kind of talked at a macro organizational level, like a whole parish, you know, kind of narrowing its focus. But this practice can be applied to a single retreat, right? Narrowing the focus mm-hmm. of this retreat, you know, who's the target audience, of course, can be applied at a larger parish setting, but it, it can it can be applied in the context of a more specific ministry, like like a youth ministry, that you can think of this practice or apply it, I should say, at multiple levels. Mm. One of the things that I think is key to this practice is really starting to say like, okay, utilizing, in addition to the lens of mission, utilizing the lens of relevance. Talk a little bit about relevance and why does it matter for our ministries and programs? Yeah, I think it's when we talk about relevance, sometimes people can think about just being trendy. Thank you for that, because I, I felt dirty saying it. <laughs> Not dirty, but like it's like pop culture, like, I want to be relevant. And there's a superficial pop culture, trendy, relevant, skinny jeans and right, right. whatever. But there's a, there's a more substantive relevance. Talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're not just talking about, you know, getting with the times or... Let's um, be hip, let's be with it. <laughs> and your church doesn't just suddenly become relevant just because you get a TikTok account and start yeah. making videos, right? And in, and in fact, right, oddball, superficial relevance, if you actually haven't become substantively mm. relevant, is just mockable. Mm, yeah. I mean, it's just ridiculous. People are like, so it's the same old boring guy now in skinny jeans. <laughs> I was like, cool, it's just my, it's my same old church with a coffee bar in the foyer. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah. So like what, so what makes a church really relevant, right? What, what are we talking about? Yeah. Or a moment, right? A, a, yeah. a retreat or whatever. Yeah. So it, I think it really comes down to making a difference in people's lives, right? Mm-hmm. If the church is actually meeting people where they are, if it's helping them solve real problems mm-hmm. that they're facing, then it's, it's, it's relevant, right? And, or if it's helping people to learn, to grow or gain mm-hmm. skills or, or, you know, gain a new perspective mm-hmm. that helps them navigate the world, then, yeah. then it's really become relevant, your program or your church. Well, or like if it changes my life or impacts yes, my life. Yes. So in that sense, as we're talking about relevance in this way, it's like, uh, no, no, we're not talking about skinny jeans or coffee bars. We're talking about the Eucharist, the desperate need yes. for that I have for love and for unconditional acceptance. That's what the Eucharist is. Mm-hmm. And helping people, among many other things, a fair amount of ink has been spilled talking about the, right, the beauties and glories of the Eucharist. But a way to our talk about the Eucharist in a way that is relevant is helping people recognize that ache you feel is filled by the Lord who always remains with us in the Eucharist. Yeah. Is yeah. that fair? Is that a good... Yeah. I, no, I think that's great. I think about just two other examples from, from scripture, right? When you know Jesus went around healing people, right? 
that was really relevant to them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was relevant to their friends and their family members. And yeah. they, they told people, right? Because it was relevant yeah. to them. Even when he said not to. <laughs> right. They told people. Yeah. And, and, and they did all the work, right? When, when something was relevant to them, they went out and told everybody else to come and see this guy that, that healed them. That's awesome. So I think, right, if our churches actually become relevant, if they, become, if they become known or gain a reputation for really helping people, tapping into people's deepest mm -hmm. desires, that we won't be able to keep people away. Wow. So fair to say, right, that like one of the lens, so I, okay, I want to narrow the focus. So my lens for beginning to like, what do I stop doing? What do I start doing? How do I, it's like, well, the mission of Jesus, right, to make disciples, mm -hmm. but then it's, it's relevance, like what's going to actually yeah. make a difference in somebody's life? Mm. Yeah. Okay. So Andy, just like truth, where have you seen this applied and actually work? Yeah. So I, I think the first example that comes to mind, you know, we've been here at the Archdiocese for the past several years working on Live Lent Together, where we train people to lead a small group uh, using, using scripture in the month of Lent, <laughs> or yes. in, right? In the season of Lent. And so there's a very, there's a very narrow focus. And we focused on, on scripture because yes. there's such a power in scripture and, and the Lord kind of facilitates as we read the scripture and he can speak to each person's heart. Um, so, we, mm -hmm. so we knew that there was a, a real power that we wanted to help people connect with. Right. Um, Not so that we don't love the other materials. I mean, we right, could nerd right. out, like there's a lot of great stuff, but we like, nope, we're just going to focus on scripture. Right. And I think because we've zeroed in on that and have been able to focus in our trainings on that, it's led to growth. It's led to, yeah. um, to a greater fruitfulness to the point where we had you know, over 2,000 people this past year participate in, in a small group. Yeah, that's huge. You know, I, I think about this is not in a parish context, but a shout out for my friends for Hope of the Poor. They do short-term mission trips, Mexico City and other places, and they have really zeroed in on helping people encounter Christ in the poor. Mm -hmm. So they work with the poor all year long, serving them in a variety of ways of, in developing relationships. But when people come to Mexico City, for instance, for a mm. short-term mission trip, there's a pretty defined script. They don't mm. build stuff. They don't like that. You know, they go to Our Lady Guadalupe. They work with the street kids, and they go visit families in the dump. And they're not distracted by the overwhelming number of mm. needs and good things that could be done. Yeah, they draw people to the presence of Christ hiding in the poor, and it becomes a real encounter moment mm. uh, as people encounter people. And they've said no to a whole heck of a lot of good things they could have done mm. in order to to like, nope, like this is what really makes a difference in people's lives. This is what yeah. changes those of us. I know not all of our lis listeners are from suburbia, but, but when a suburban American comes to Mexico City, this makes the difference. Yeah, I love that. And it makes me think about religious orders, right? The, and the unique charisms that yeah. religious orders have, right? They all kind of specialize, right? The, the Dominicans yeah. focus on preaching and Carmelites focus on contemplative prayer and missionaries of charity focus on the poorest of the poor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, not my, right, not a, not a church historian, but when they've lost that focus, mm -hmm. Mm. Often the orders have lost their dynamism. Yeah. And when you see this kind of renewal within orders, you know, the Discalus Carmelites or whatever, it's often a rediscovery of, 
hey, did you know the founder actually says we should be doing this? And it's just <laughs> this, it's like, they're like, hey, wait a minute. You know, like we're, we're you know, Dominicans, the OPs, yeah, order of preachers. Did you know we're supposed to be preaching? Why are we spending all of our time, you know, insert whatever. And, and it's hard, right? Because there's a sacrifice in that because you have to sacrifice the thousands of other possibilities that are out yeah. there in order to focus on the one thing that is going to be most fruitful. Yeah. So I think this is huge to the degree, you know, I, before I really leaned into this, I had some some moments, you know, in, in terms of like learning how to narrow the focus. And that is, you know, beginning to create like a stop doing list mm. or, or a not not doing list. And that was helpful for me in a couple of ways. One, I would actually like, it, it would force me to say like, well, okay, this and this and this. But then I think actually stopping doing something and pruning out activities to have a narrower focus. Often I was like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I don't know yeah. how I'm going to like tell this person, I'm sorry, I can't do this anymore. Mm. And the emotional, psychological pain of telling people no, the mental work of developing an exit plan would keep me from actually executing. And the irony of developing a stop doing list to say, okay, what will I stop doing? When will I stop doing it? What is my transition plan? How will I do that? It kept me from the kind of the false dichotomy of like, well, either I stop in a violent, unhelpful way to those I've been serving, or I just keep doing it, mm -hmm. even though it doesn't seem to be where the Lord wants me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's helpful to, to also just drive for clarity, right? As, as a leader in, mm -hmm. a, in a parish, there's so many other things going on. Um, being able to drive for clarity, asking what success looks like, right? Mm -hmm. what, what are we really aiming for with these different ministries? What are the fruits that we're trying to, trying to harvest? And, and really striving toward agreement in what success looks like. And it's, I mean, that's going to create conflict as soon as you start doing that. People are going to have different yeah. ideas about what that means and nobody wants to rock the boat, but I think it's essential yeah. to, to do that. So talk about, I mean, we weren't necessarily going to go here, but how do you do that? So you're like, you start to talk about like, okay, let's say for a broad community, like a parish, and we're going to narrow the focus. There are so many people in our mission field mm -hmm. with so many needs. How do we discern as a community what we could and should do? Yeah, I, I honestly think part of the answer is, is in the question of, mm. of making sure you do actually discern as a community. I think that's a step that yeah. often just doesn't happen, you know, where, where the leaders are, are called together in a spirit of prayer and really assess, you know, what are the gifts of this community and what are the, what are the needs of our neighbors? Yeah, what, what is our landscape? Gosh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking of this, but that is, in some ways, that's exactly what Archbishop Lucas did mm. as he developed the vision and priorities for the Archdiocese of Omaha. He gathered, first off, he went kind of like around, I mean, there were, I think, almost a half dozen or more listening sessions, and this is about seven years ago, just all around the Archdiocese, a handful of well-selected questions helping to surface people's desire for the church in the future. And those listening sessions yielded real themes. Mm. And then a smaller group, you know, kind of gathered around the archbishop for, for prayer and discernment. And from that, this vision of one church encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, living mercy was kind of born out of that. But mm -hmm. there was a process where lots of people were involved in different ways at different levels. And yeah, you can imagine 
a youth ministry or a parish or religious ed, or just a small team of people who are running a, a retreat going through a similar process. Hey, let's talk mm-hmm. to all the people who've been on the retreat. Hey, let's, yeah. okay, let now, now in light of what we've heard, let's, let's pray through that and sift through that together. Uh, again, you can imagine that process, giving people the discernment necessary to say, okay, we're going to do this and not this. Yeah. I, so there's an example, from, there's a leader at St. Gerald who was going through uh, Alpha there and was kind of lamenting that there were not many young adults who were coming, mm-hmm. um, right? That he was <laughs> the only one. And as he started praying about that and, and asking some of his friends to pray and think about that with him, they realized that the target audience that they were trying to reach was in a different place spiritually <laughs> from the rest of the people who were coming yeah. um, to the parish. You know, they wanted to reach people that wouldn't even darken the door of a parish. Yeah, And so they had to lead Alpha in a bar yeah. off off the church's campus, right? Yeah. And, and then they started seeing fruit. Once they kind of narrowed in their target audience and really tried to identify, okay, where are these people at spiritually? That led to certain conclusions for their ministry and it led to fruit. Yeah, that's a really helpful, I think, narrowing the focus, particularly as you're talking about a ministry, you're really talking about like a who. Yeah. Like, who are we going after? And what are their hopes and dreams and fears? And, oh, Turns out they feel a little uncomfortable coming, you know, coming into the social hall. Yeah. Uh, so let's go to them. So it was really interesting because you might have thought otherwise that the program didn't work, right? Because those people weren't coming. Yeah. Right. But it, but it was just the manner in which it was being presented and some lack of invitation. It, it was other things, you know. It wasn't well, and it was narrowing the focus, and it wasn't right, like right. Uh, if they had tried to take the entire parish alpha into the bar. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like a fair number of people who would come to that who are like, I don't actually feel comfortable at the bar. Thank right, you. Right. Uh, and so kind of splitting and really zeroing in. It's like, no, alpha for our 20-somethings, presumably, right? This is the venue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think we can just stay with that theme of, um, of target audience, right? Who are you trying to, trying to reach? Where are they at in the spiritual life, right? Because they might be beginners spiritually. They might be right ready for someone to um, just build a friendship with them. Yeah. Right. They might be ready to make a decision to follow Jesus, or they might be hungry for catechesis or to be sent on mission. So I think starting to ask some of those questions of, you know, who are the people that are coming currently? You yeah. know, who are the people that are not coming that we want to reach and, and getting into where those people are at in the spiritual life? Yeah. Well, and that's huge. I and mean, already, I think I'm here. Who's this event for? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, or, or young people. Well, <laughs> gosh, I think we need a little bit more focus in that because are these young people who have a relationship with Jesus and would like to be formed in what it's like to live as a 20-something disciple? Mm-hmm. Or no, these are young people who don't have a relationship who we want to draw into a relationship with the Lord. Okay, Andy, so let me ask you a hard question because all across the country, the Archdiocese of Omaha is no exception, there's a fair amount of pastoral planning going on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're not like super churchy or into it, pastoral planning is kind of code for, we have to figure out how to allocate the priestly resources and the other resources Mm -hmm. amongst a population where the demographics have shifted, where people have stopped coming to church. And now we find ourselves where we have a lot more institutional organizations, parishes, churches, than we have people participating. 
and priests that we can staff. So those questions that those kind of demographic realities and shifts have forced us into a pruning conversation. How can we apply this practice of of narrowing the focus into that setting? Yeah, I I definitely think it's it's very relevant to our current situation that we do need to to narrow the focus. I just I think about, you know, each parish having unique gifts, you know, just mm-hmm. like person has a unique gift or a, a religious order might have a unique gift. There's kind of a mm-hmm. sometimes a sense of a charism for each parish, right? Yeah. Um, and I think as we're having conversations, as parishes are coming together and learning about each other, what makes each parish community unique and and learning about those gifts, they can actually help to to name some of those gifts for each other. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we can't recognize our own gift because it's just the water that we're swimming in. Sure. Yeah. So I'm 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 hopeful. We're all like this here. It's like, yeah, but not everybody's as good as that as you (laughs) you guys are. So I am hopeful that that will happen in this process, that that parishes will begin to help each other name the gifts that the Lord has has given. And begin to really live out of those gifts and to kind of specialize in those, to, to really acknowledge those and claim those mm-hmm. as gifts that have been given by the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we also have to remember in that that, that we belong to each other. Right? No local church is the universal church. Right? Yeah. Um, and, and, so and you don't have to be. You don't have to be. Right. <laughs> not, only can, not only can you not be all things Catholic, but... You don't have to be. Right. Yeah. So so we have to, individually we do this, right? We have to live out of our own gifting mm-hmm. and, and allow others to kind of cover our, our weaknesses, right? Even as we cover their weaknesses, right? And so this is the, the image of the body of Christ, right? right. And in each part having having its own role. So I think I think that's maybe an image or uh, or a framework that would be helpful, but, um, but just to really remember that we belong to each other and to live out of our gifting and service, uh, each in service of the others. Yeah. I've thought about this a lot because it, it's personal for me. You know, my uh, ancestors on my dad's side are all from Cedar County, Nebraska. Mm. For the non-Nebraskans, it's a little slice of heaven. It's the northeast corner of Nebraska. And, you know, the countryside is dotted with all of these beautiful little churches. And, you know, now that we don't need our churches you know, a uh, wagon ride away, you know, thank you, automobile and mechanized farming and population shifts. We've had to look at kind of consolidating and combining our parishes. And there's a number of just beautiful facilities and parishes that, you know, the the future is is still kind of unknown. I mean, that's what's being kind of discerned and planned uh, now. But, but I dream about like, man, wouldn't it be great if this little church site kind of became the place Mm -hmm for addiction recovery for, yeah. for, for the county, you know, yeah. and this is where all the different AA groups and, and other folks meet. And, and this one was kind of like the youth ministry center, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe the old school can be turned into a, a little retreat facility. And this one's, this one's like kind of like the marriage headquarters, marriage prep and, and enrichment events are happening there. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, just to be able to tap into amazing, beautiful f- facilities, uh, the churches themselves, but to say, okay, let's embrace actually a very particular focus. And then in community, in families of parishes, mm-hmm. that particular focus becomes an asset and helps us all the more recognize yeah. that, that we we need each other yeah, yeah. Uh, rather than all, all being kind of the same blah vanilla. Mm-hmm. Andy, we, we've we've hinted at this before, but I think many of our listeners are probably wondering, 
yeah, but this is actually hard because mm-hmm. there are people, right. Right. <laughs> again, it's not just like, oh, it's a fruitful program, but there's there's a person behind that. There's somebody mm-hmm. who's, you know, who is faithfully leading this. And it's hard to disappoint leaders who are leading programs that are no longer bearing fruit. Mm-hmm. How do you get the courage to start a conversation, to prune a ministry or a, a program or a little event that's part of a, you know, a ministry when it's still working, how do you talk to those leaders? Yeah, that's a great question. It is hard and painful. I mean, obviously we have to start with prayer, right? It could go without saying, but it it shouldn't go without saying, right? That that we need to start with prayer and let the Lord lead the way. And I I think really bringing ourselves back to the the mission, right? Like we said earlier, revisiting the why, hmm. um, starting those questions, starting to ask those questions of what does success look like, but to really enter into the relationship with those with those leaders, right? As persons with a history, um, mm-hmm. with desires, right? With the, you know, and asking about the joys of their ministry, and you know, it it, it ought to be a relational process and and, and a yeah. true conversation that's happening. Well, and and I like that because oftentimes. Again, I'm not not to say that it always easily works this way, but the real desire to serve, oftentimes that is supposed to persist in another form, in mm. another place. Mm. Um, and that the particular ministry, which we're like, yeah, this is working, but we're not going to do this anymore. The desire behind that can be expressed in another location, another in another context. Mm. Yeah, I, you know, I've also heard that it's a trap for us to begin to assess our, you know, what we do, what we offer, simply based off of need. Mm. That there is, as you talked about, like, well, mm-hmm. let's, yeah, it's, you know, sometimes when it, when we say, oh, prayer, it goes without saying. Yeah, but sometimes when it goes without saying, it goes without doing. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and we end up not really just like praying through like, Lord, where's the call here? Because mm-hmm. the needs are infinite. <laughs> Energy is not. So where's the call, right? Because yeah. Jesus doesn't ask more than we have. And frankly, if we're honest, those of us who feel a little tired and stretched and confession, that's me sometimes, it's maybe because we're filling needs and not responding to a call. Mm. Yeah. And that's so good. And it just makes me think about how oftentimes um, people need a greater yes in order to say no to something else, right? Say more about that. I love that. That's a powerful concept. Right. So people are, you you have a leader that's in their, in their program, in their ministry that they've been doing doing for a long, a long time. They've been seeing some, some joys, some, some uh, successes, but they've probably also been banging their head against the wall in some ways. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But if, if you have, if you have been discerning a call from the Lord, you know, you start proposing that, you start telling people about this call, this vision and proposing it to them. It's so much easier for them to say yes to that and divert their energy and their attention to that than just stopping without a clear idea of, of yeah. what's next or, or how to use the gifts that the Lord has given them. Because everybody wants to use their gifts. Yeah. And if they don't have a clear outlet, they don't have any reason to say no to what they're currently doing. Yeah. I think I've heard people say, right, you can't say no without a deeper yes. Hmm. And to the degree that some, you know, that when we have to do this to be fruitful, to the degree that we've articulated a, a deeper, more universal yes, in a focus, or in this case, a calling for a ministry or a parish, when we've articulated that, it makes it easier for people to say no. Mm-hmm. Or again, if, if you're the leader, to receive the no. Yeah. So, okay. Andy, this is great stuff. If somebody is excited about this, they're like, oh, gosh, I need to do this. Like, this is exactly where we're at. I need to figure out how to narrow the focus. Where do they get started? 
Yeah. Well, obviously one thing is you could call me, call uh, any of us here in, you know, on the parish support team. We're here to support parishes, to support you. We'd love to have a conversation over the phone or, or come out and visit. Yeah. We'd love to talk through anything that you're going through or how this might look in your parish. Yeah. We'd love to help. I would say, start with a question. We alluded to this earlier, but who, and that's important, right? Who, mm-hmm. who do we have the best potential to reach? And as you think about, again, that's definitely in kind of an outreach context, but as you think about the who's, just like you, you I love that example you gave about alpha for, for 20-somethings, that really helps narrow and it helps clarify things. And it's a very person-centered way to begin to, to narrow the focus. Mm, so yeah. ask who we have the best potential to reach and then begin to design for them. So, okay, we should give a shout out here to Andy Stanley. His uh, seven practices of effective ministry, this is what, in like number three or four? Yeah, I think it's number three. Yeah, he talks, he talks about narrow the focus. Really, really good stuff. Great book. It's got, if you like the kind of leadership parables, if you're a baseball fan, he starts with, he starts with uh, the extended kind of baseball metaphor and then does a deep dive with lots of examples in real life of, of narrowing the focus in a ministry context. So, Andy, anything else you want to closing thoughts here? I don't think so. I I just really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope some of you do take us up on on reaching out. Um, I'd love to have a conversation with you. Yeah, give the email so people can get a hold of you. Yeah, so so my email is a j d e j k a at archomaha.org. So a j deka at archomaha.org. Awesome. Andy, thank you. Thanks for being with us. Those of you walking the dog, driving, not now, wait to like arrive safely at your destination or uh, tie the dog up, but then share this out with a friend who, (laughs) you know, like he's kind of wrestling with this, needs to, needs to narrow the focus a bit. All right. Thanks everybody. Mm